0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Voorst, and I'm your host for the show, and I'm also one of the pastors at Life Church. I want to thank you so much for listening today to this podcast and to other things that we've put out. Uh, we hope that this content has been meaningful to you, and we want to encourage you to share it with somebody if you think it might be impactful for them as well. I also want to invite you to prayerfully consider giving to Life Church Canton. Just want you to know that your financial commitment and investment in Life Church really helps us do the work that we get to be doing, and it changes people's lives. We've got a New Life Weekend, which is our name for a baptism weekend, coming up on August 30th, and I would love to invite you to come out if you feel comfortable. I recognize that uh, joining the public can be a little bit uh, worrisome at this point, and I understand that, but we're going to be getting together and celebrating people's lives that were changed and are now going to get baptized as a result of that. And so uh, your giving, your commitment to that makes that possible, uh, as well as all of the work that we get to be a part of at Life Church Today, you're going to be hearing a sermon from Pastor Nathan McWhorter, and he is giving our fourth week of the series Sticking to the Gospel, and he's going to be talking specifically about sharing the gospel. Now, if you've heard that term before, you might not think it is what you think it is. It's a little bit of a different spin on what it means to actually share the gospel in the context of this series. So I hope you enjoy. And so without further ado, here is Pastor Nathan. If you are new,
1: or maybe it's your second time, I'm glad you're here. My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'd love for you to fill out a Connect card. You can do it now or at the end of the gathering. We're going to do some really cool sign-ups at the end, so maybe wait, but you can fill it out even now. I give you permission to do that. In fact, I give permission to everybody to share it. Pastor Daniel talked about how we know that people who have had these messages shared to them have accepted Christ. That's truth. So, go ahead and share it. Like seriously, pull out your phone if you're watching it on your TV, share it. It makes a huge difference. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. We just got to hear about there is power in the name of Jesus. And sticking to the gospel is the series we're in, and it is all about Jesus. The good news. That's what gospel means, the good news. And we've talked about for and from and to, all these words. Today, we're talking about sharing the gospel. So... Why don't you share it? All right, enough of that. Go ahead and share it later in the podcast, later in the week. It'll change people's lives. But we're talking about sharing the gospel, the relentless pursuit of one more. You might have heard it, a couple of our codes already today. One is you belong so that you can encounter Jesus. But right after that is this phrase, the relentless pursuit of one more. See, The gospel is the good news. And when we pursue people for the gospel to share what Jesus has done, we try to bring one more person onto the journey. And in the last five years, we've had over a thousand commitments written on a Connect card that maybe some of you will actually do today. A thousand commitments plus. It's incredible. We've seen people come to Christ who have never stepped foot in our building just in the last five months. It's incredible. One of them is in New York. If you're watching, Hey in New York. It's good to see you. Man, evangelism is what we're talking about, sharing the gospel. Evangelism is kind of this term that honestly is almost exclusively used in the Christian faith. And what does it mean? Well, according to the dictionary, evangelism is the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. And maybe that's you. It's when you share what God has done, the Christian gospel, the good news. What's that good news? That Jesus was perfect. He was God. He came as a man, died, was buried, raised himself from the dead, defeating death forever, ascended to heaven, and gave us the Holy Spirit. And now we can have communion with God. That is the good news. And you should be saying amen by now. Now, this is our fourth week talking about the gospel, but we could talk about the gospel every single day. In fact, That's what we're going to talk about. But first, I have a question for you, because evangelism, wow, tele-evangelist, there's there's evangelism. What does that mean to you? What's your history with it, even if you don't know God as your Savior right now? My question to you is, what does evangelism look like? What does it actually look like? And I want you to write that in the comments, but actually answer that for yourself as well. It could look like a lot of different things. And often when we think of evangelism, we think of this one-time event, whether that's someone handing you a track or you going up to the altar at camp or hearing about it in a concert. It's this one-time event. What does evangelism look like? And last week, Pastor Jared talked about how it's kind of like getting a get out of jail free card and monopoly it's we think okay we've done it we've accomplished it we put that in our wallet to be cashed in when we kick the bucket to go to heaven someday is that what evangelism is to you this moment is it about getting someone and talking to them or maybe going up to their door knocking and somehow through a conversation leading them to christ is that what it is You see, often this is actually a problem we have. There's a problem when we think of the gospel in this way, as a one-time event. It's first divorced from a discipleship model of helping people grow. See, we're all going from unbelievers to believers. There's a moment while salvation occurs, yes, but when did that moment happen for Jesus' disciples? See, Jesus took them on a journey, not to a moment, but to a lifetime of believing more and more in Him and what He's doing. And that is what He's inviting us to, this journey. He wants us to experience the fullness of who He is. And when we think of evangelism as this one-time event, and I say share the gospel, gospel, relentlessly pursue one more, if we think about it as this one-time salvific event, event, it can actually be overwhelming. Like, man, I I don't know if I can do that. I feel like there's a lot on the line. In fact, I shared this earlier, but 47% of millennials think that evangelism, trying to get someone of a different faith to believe in the faith you have, is wrong. 47%. In fact, more than half have reported that they've had two or less conversations about faith a year. Some of those people, zero at all. So what is evangelism really? Is it this moment of salvation? Is it a prayer that you lead people through? Is it a man yelling on the street? Is it a really corny tract (laughs) handed out? I want to go to a scripture we actually talked about a couple weeks ago. In fact, we were speaking about a sermon And I was preaching on APEST, Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher, and how it unifies the church. Check it out. It's pretty sweet. It's in our last series. But I love Scripture because Scripture has so much to say, and it can apply to so many situations. And I want to talk about Ephesians 4.15 again and bring it back up. This one phrase that talks about how we reach unity in the faith, how we grow, and how we get to see God move in huge ways, and that should get you excited. So I want you to look for how we grow into the fullness of Christ in Ephesians 4:15. It says this: Hey, there's some people doing some bad things. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. How can we be like Christ? We speak the truth in love. Have you heard that phrase? Man, I'm just speaking the truth in love. Have you seen that as Christian-y? Some people say, I'm just speaking the truth in love. Often we use this verse for correction and be like, dude, in love, you got a booger in your nose. You need to take care of it. And that is in love, man. If someone's got a booger, let them know so they can fix it. It's way more embarrassing to get to a mirror like three hours later and realize you got some, you know, bat in the cave. Not a good thing. Well, when we talked about an apex, we talked about the prophet and how we've had to speak the truth in love about some really hard stuff. And specifically, we were talking about race issues in our country. But there's another side of this verse as well the side that talks about the positive, not just correcting, which needs to happen, but also the building each other up in love. Speak the truth in love. It's like preaching to each other. I tell you all the time, you should preach to yourself the truth of who God is. We are called to speak the truth in love in every situation. In every situation we're in, to grow as Christians, we have to speak the truth in love, and that's why we're doing this series. It's all about remembering and rehearsing the good news of what Jesus has done, the gospel, from bad to good for good works, and today we're talking about sharing the gospel, but we've used this verse as well in John fourteen six. Watch what Jesus calls himself. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the truth. Jesus is the truth. He's the good news. He owns the truth. Sound like I'm talking about like a wrestler, the truth, you know, like, but it's Jesus, like, He is the truth. And here's my assertion to you. This is what I think is happening. If we're called to speak the truth in love in every situation, and Jesus is love, and He is the truth, then Paul is calling us to speak Him into every situation. This is what I believe when you really break it down. Evangelism is speaking Jesus into every situation evangelism is speaking the truth of what Jesus would be saying doing the gospel into every situation this is how we spread the good news we learn to see Jesus and his resurrection and his power in everything so I want you to get used to this so go ahead wherever you're at I don't care if you're in a cafeteria wherever you're watching it I don't know you're not probably not out but maybe you're in your office or it's years later I want you to say this with me I want you to say speak Jesus." God say, "Speak Jesus, speak Jesus. Thank you in every in every situation, situation." All right, say it together. Speak Jesus into every situation. Speak Jesus into every situation. I'm gonna take a hard left here. That's important? I lived in Germany for a time when I was really young. It was an incredible experience. I remember so much vividly from there. But I also was impacted. By where I lived and I started to absorb not just memories but the language what it was like to be there and for a long time I could actually understand when German was being spoken around me when I was back in the states and even there I couldn't really speak it not really I had some nice phrases and later I even learned this song it's a famous song by Rammstein it's called du hast you ever heard it du hast du hast mich. I mean, I could sing the whole thing for you, but you don't want to hear it. It's a metal band. It's awesome. Anywho, you know, I kind of know what they're saying, but I actually know the lyrics. Am I fluent? No. Not even close. But do I have a sense of what it is? Yes. But to be fluent, it's got to be effortless. You know, I think in English, when you're fluent, you think... In the other language. So, I should be able to think in German or dream in German. Reality is, I don't know the language. Why do I share that? Because many of us have never been fluent in the gospel. Man, we sometimes understand it. We can speak a few phrases. In fact, we kind of can speak gospel-ish Pat phrases that have lost their power because it's just a saying like, well, you got to be washed in the blood. That's a weird thing to say. (laughs) What do you mean? We know some phrases, but we lack the impact and power, the fluency to interact with the world every day through the lenses of the gospel. That's just not true. Man, we can even sing the songs. We know the lyrics, but we don't speak the language. We understand that He's loving, but forget that He is just. We know that He saves, but it doesn't really impact the way we make decisions every day. It is so difficult. Man, most of us are more fluent in sarcasm than we are in the gospel. It's effortless. It just comes out of our mouth. We don't even realize we're doing it. If evangelism is truly speaking Jesus into every situation, we must become more and more fluent in the good news and what Jesus is saying. Are you fluent in it? And how would you know? It's got to get inside of us. We need to dream about what Jesus is doing. It's the lens that we should interpret every movie, every song, every interaction, every relationship. And that's why I said at the very beginning of the series that if we truly understood the gospel, it would wreck us every single day. But don't be discouraged. As we become fluent, we can't help ourselves. As it gets into us, we can't stop speaking it. We will evangelize. Have you ever watched someone from another country, and when they get really, really mad, they'll slip into their other language and just start saying stuff? That's when you know you're in trouble, is because they are now gone to the base primal part of who they are, and they're just speaking it. That should be our response to anger, and fear. It should be the default, the gospel. So be encouraged. When that happens, it'll pour out of you. The truth of the good news won't be about this moment that you just lead someone to Christ, but every moment that you speak into every situation becomes about it. I believe that this is what God has for us, but it's also not really a choice. So you don't get to choose. You got to do this. Romans 10, 10 through 15. Listen to this. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. It goes on to say this, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on Him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 14, how then, now watch, watch, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in, right? How can you call on Jesus if you've never believed in Him? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? So, you can't believe in someone you've never heard about, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of of those who bring good news. We have no choice. This and other scriptures, they point us. We have to speak it. And when we think of it as this one-time event, we can become overwhelmed when in reality, we've been given moment after moment after moment after moment to speak the truth. Jesus came to die for you, to save you from death and separation from God. That is the truth. He rose in power to defeat the curse of sin and then ascended to give you that same power to overcome the brokenness of the world. He's given you authority and presence and spiritual gifts. He has reunited you with God. He has told you what is good, to preach. This is good news. Hopefully, you're feeling it rise inside of you you're rehearsing the gospel. Becoming gospel fluent, being able to speak the good news in every situation allows you to use every opportunity to evangelize, to share, to relentlessly pursue. Accepting the gospel is not this one-time thing, but something we rehearse and we live and we recite to others daily. Now, let me explain how this happens how we miss opportunities. And I'm going to share some of these, and then I want to show you just in a few cases how you can use those opportunities not to force someone to accept, but to point to Jesus. See, many Christians I know take credit for what Jesus has done in their life. Say, what? (laughs) Well, or at least they've forgotten to give them credit. What do I mean? I hear a lot more people praising Dave Ramsey for their financial freedom than Jesus okay, I don't pick. Dave Ramsey helped me. But it wasn't Dave Ramsey. See, Dave Ramsey will tell you he went to the Word of God, and he said, how does God see the world? How does Jesus see the world? If Jesus is true and these things are real, then let me look at how we spend our money and be transformed. See, Dave Ramsey points to Jesus, but sometimes we take credit for our own financial freedom and forget that it was Jesus who did it. I'll say it another way. Instead of taking credit for the kindness or the joy that your children are or who they are and what they do, and people are like, oh, your child's so awesome. What do we say? Oh, thank you. No, we should be pointing them to Jesus, saying, yeah, they're this way because we found out some things about parenting, but also we found out some things about God, and we're trying to point our children to Jesus. And because of that, they're being changed and transformed. You see, what did I just do? I shared the gospel. And a lot of people take credit for being nice or good or doing kind things. They say, oh, thank you. Look, we aren't called to be nice. We aren't called to be good Christians. We're called to be people who point to Jesus. And when someone says you are good and you are kind or maybe you're courageous or you have grace or you have mercy and you just say thank you or you just take credit for it, what you're actually doing is... Missing an opportunity. Let me explain it this way. Not only are you stealing God's glory when you take credit for anything good in your life, and I can back that up with a ton of Scripture. When you take credit for it, you're stealing glory from God because it could be pointed towards Him. You're also missing the chance to share the good news, that they could have a relationship with God and it could transform them. So you've stolen God's glory, you've missed the opportunity to evangelize them, and you might actually be setting that person up to fail because you may have reinforced in their mind that, see, if I just tried hard enough, did enough, didn't, you know, do these kinds of things, then I could also see the kind of fruit that comes from the Spirit, not from you in your life, in my life, but you've actually kept them from the only person that could give them the power to do that. Man, this is complicated. It's actually an opportunity. It's joy. See, the greatest loss I believe that many of us have because we have refused to learn how to be fluent in the gospel, we haven't stuck to the gospel, we haven't let it transform the way we look at everything. One of the biggest problems is that we've missed the opportunity to speak the truth in love in a way that evangelizes the people around us. Here's the positive part. As we become more gospel fluent, we will have more and more opportunities to evangelize. You can't get away from them because as it becomes the language and the lens of your life, you start to point people to Jesus by the words that come out of your mouth. Always be prepared to give an account for the faith that you have and remember that any good thing you do belongs to Christ's power within you. We know the gospel says that on our own, we are nothing but with Him, we can overcome. Now, I'm going to point out three areas that we can become more fluent in the gospel and how you can evangelize today in them. I mean, how you can speak the love in these three areas as we learn to become gospel fluent, to correct our view of them. And then I'll give you some action steps to move forward. Now, these are just three areas, and they aren't all encompassing. But the first one is sex. Let's talk about sex in church. Now, one of the things you get told when you're young and in the church is to wait for sex and marriage, and many of you have been told that. Some of you right now have chosen to follow that with your lives, others have not, and there's another group that are still on the edge of whether or not they want to actually do that. And growing up, and often when I ask people why people shouldn't have sex until marriage, I get responses like this. First of all, you won't get pregnant, you won't get an STD, you won't have uh, complications, You won't have baggage from previous sexual relationships in them. And then I hear this a lot. The sex will be better. The sex will be better if both of you are virgins. Okay, sex between two virgins is not great. Sex is better when you practice, which is just an aside. But we use all of these different things to explain why why you should wait. But what we've done, and and those aren't wrong, they're true. I do believe the best sex you will ever have is when you wait for marriage, that there's something beautiful that comes from it as you get better together. Plus, you get to, you know, practice together too, which is fantastic. I do believe that. But when we set that up as the reason that you wait, we missed something. What we have done is unintentionally reinforced the world's view of sex. What do I mean? Sex is about getting your needs fulfilled. Sex is about trusting your heart and fulfilling your needs. And so what we've said is, it'll, those, your needs, just wait, hold off on that need, hold off, because it'll be even better then. So you don't want to get in the way of your intimacy, you don't want to get in the way of having great sex by having previous partners or anything like that. So wait, 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 wait. When we lost the focus completely, sex isn't about getting yours or getting what you want. It's about serving the other person. And through that service and vulnerability, intimacy grows. Marriage is a place of sacrifice, not a fulfillment of desires. And it's beautiful on the other end. God calls us to live into His plan for marriage between a man and a woman so that they can be fulfilled? No. So that it can be like Jesus in sacrifice in marriage. Now, here's what I think. We've lost our gospel fluency, and because we have lost our gospel fluency, we will stray away from God's plan for marriage and sex between one man and one woman because it becomes about our feelings and our needs. In fact, one scholar has said this. This is someone who believes outside of God's plan. He says this. God would never want us to choose between our feelings and our faith, right? And he wasn't being sarcastic. He was being real. See, as we lose our gospel fluency, we realize that God has called us to submit all of ourselves to Him our sexual identity and our sexual practices. And go- gospel fluency says don't give them advice about why they should wait for sex or better sex or about avoiding conf- uh, consequences. Gospel fluency says give them Jesus. God created sex and love. And Jesus showed us what love truly means. Jesus called the church his bride and wants to have that kind of intimacy with us. He paid the bride price for an unfaithful woman, he paid it. Loving us patiently and giving everything up for us, dying for us so that we could live never stopped pursuing our hearts, continues to love us even now. And Jesus is still waiting to fully consummate his marriage with his bride even now. So why do we wait for sex in marriage? It's because true intimacy has been modeled for us by Jesus. And he has been waiting for so many of his children to come to him. He shows patience and goodness. See, evangelism is explaining to people why you waited was not for better sex, but because Jesus showed us what love looks like, that our intimacy with our spouse draws us closer to Jesus. It's an act of worship, and our sex reflects the relationship between Jesus and the church, and I'm blowing some minds right now. Because it has become so much about fulfilling our base desires, we have missed the beauty of what it was before the fall and the beauty of what it could be because of Jesus in our lives. When you talk about people, talk to people about sex, give them Jesus, not reasons why it'll be better for them, which are true, give them Jesus. Jesus. When we speak the truth in love when sex come up we always ask the question what does the gospel have to say about sex now i took a little bit more time with that one and hopefully if you are in high school or whatever you talk more with your family see jesus is calling you to be pure but he's doing it so that you can look like him and when you look like him oh my goodness the world changes and is transformed now i want to talk about sex let's talk about work work now we need to learn how to become gospel fluent in our work. And Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A makes great chicken. I love their sandwiches when I can get in line. There's one up in no By now. It takes like 25 minutes just to get through the line, but it's delicious. And they're extremely successful. But even in the success, they continue to honor God with a Sabbath, doing more in six days when most companies do in seven. They're unashamed that they have found this. They point to Him. When people say, man, your people are just so loving and kind, and they say, my pleasure, and all these other all things, and they say, yes, because we have learned something about how God wants to run the world and how God wants us to work. They're an example to us of how we should approach our work. So stop taking credit for your business practices that really reflect what God's heart is for you, and start sharing with people that you are truly successful because of what Jesus has shown you about doing good and doing right and bringing it into the world. And if you can't say that about your business practices, you need to change your business practices. When you talk about your success or why you do something at work, point them to Jesus. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if for the Lord. Why do you work hard? Well, because I'm a hard worker and I'm from Detroit and we just make this stuff happen. No, I work hard because it's for the Lord. I mop this floor as if it was for Jesus. He paid it all so that I can serve Him. That's evangelism. Do you know your work is worship? The very way you do work is worship. And you can tell people the reasons why you do it. Become fluent in the gospel. What if when we went to small group and when someone comes in and just says, "Man, I'm having a hard time. I missed that promotion. I should have got that promotion. I never get affirmation from my boss and I'm really frustrated with my coworkers and ah, what if in our small groups instead of just saying, "Yeah, that's terrible or you should just leave your job or giving them advice on how what letter to write or do this or do that, what if we started to speak the truth of the gospel over those people?" Saying, I know you didn't get the position you want. The joy, though, is you have a position that is secure with Christ. And even though you may have deserved this in your work, in your life, you deserve death. And yet, God has given you life. And isn't that a joy? When we don't get words of affirmation from our boss, we can remember that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, speaking on our behalf and when we come into a small group, we can feel powerless and try to make things happen or not be seen, or we can be reminded what the gospel says and go from unbeliever to believer a little bit more. Man, who cares if a middle manager likes you when the God of the universe has your back? Somebody better had said, bake that bread. What would change if we learned to evangelize each other in our small groups? Evangelism is being able to show people the better way to speak the truth in love. How can we be creative about that? Third way, we'll go quick on this one, is parenting and friendships. We've talked about marriage and the guys of sex because it's a big part of marriage, but marriage is a place where we work and love each other and point people to Jesus. But what about parenting and friendships? My question to you that you could answer right now is, how does the gospel inform your parenting? Have you thought about that? How do you evangelize your children? Can you answer that question? I think you can. I think if you dig down deep, you realize there's so much of what you do, you do because of Jesus. But are you speaking Are they hearing the truth in love? See, sometimes, though, we don't do well. I do bad with this. We use the consequences of sin as a way of dissuading sin. So if you keep not doing what I... asked you to do, I'm going to give you a consequence to convince you to stop doing the thing you shouldn't do. We're going to use the consequences of sin as a way of dissuading sin instead of pointing them to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you don't discipline, but it's all about how you say it. It's like, hey, if you keep doing this, there's going to be a consequence, but I want to point you to Jesus and say, look, when you make a mistake, Jesus has paid for that. Jesus did. He paid for that, and He loves you anyway, and He wants you to live in fullness. In fact, because of that, He's given you the power not to sin like that again. And He wants you to know how much He loves you and has made you to be free of sin. Consequences come, I get it, but are we pointing people to Jesus or to consequences? We should point them not to be ashamed for what they have done wrong, but to realize and acknowledge that their brokenness was paid for. And that has ramifications on our life. Are you evangelizing your children every day? Real quickly, your friendships. What are your friendships based on? Are they based on you growing towards Jesus, or are they people who fulfill needs that you have? In fact, we know this very... If you're single and you want to be married... You've never been married or maybe you had a bad marriage or whatever and you're thinking, you know, marriage will fix this. These are the needs. I'm lonely. I'm depressed. I have these things. And if I just had this commitment and relationship that it would go away, the reality is it doesn't go away. It gets worse. It's magnified because there are needs that only Jesus can fulfill. So are you looking at friendships? Are you relying on Jesus or each other? Does your relationship force you towards Jesus or an unhealthy reliance on them to provide your identity. Are you someone who gathers people around you so that you feel like you have significance? And are you telling them, I need you, I must have you in order to be in my life? You've got to look a certain way or do a certain thing or act a certain way towards me? Or are you saying, man, Jesus has allowed us to be friends because of the unity we have with him and together we've got to point each other to him? To speak the truth in love i could go on and on and on about becoming gospel fluent in these areas but i want to remind you the reason why i poke on this the reason why i prod is because when we start to speak the gospel people will come to jesus our relationships are the most powerful place to speak the truth in love our relationships are the most powerful place to speak the truth in love whether it's child, parent, partner, friend, coworker, those relationships when you speak the truth in love, when you become fluent in the gospel, it transforms everything. Ephesians 4:15. This is where we started. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. I am confident that you can become gospel fluent that you can start having conversations with people about Jesus. Did you know they did a study, the same study where I got these millennial numbers, they did a study that 9 out of 10 people who have had at least one conversation about faith come away more confident and eager to talk about God again. As we start to talk about Jesus, as we just can't help it and we overflow about what Jesus has done, we will get more and more confident in doing it. Did you know too that they tested people christians non-christians uh people of different religions they ask them a question when these situations happens and you happen and you come away when you feel like that was good what what kind of conversation was that and they have found that people are the most comfortable with conversations that are just casual one-on-one conversations followed by casual group conversations and that they are least comfortable when people talk to them in church or in the street or hand out tracts? Did you know that you, in casual conversation, have more of an opportunity to speak the truth and love and evangelize than I do on this stage and with this impact? At least they'll receive it more. I'm confident that you can do this. And you know what the greatest characteristic is of those who are successful? Listening. Listening. Listen to what they are saying. See, when we listen through the ears of the gospel, we will hear the true longing of people's hearts, the needs, the desires. See, they weren't made to be apart from God. They have this desire inside of it, and it's going to come out when you listen. Listen. And those who are fluent in the gospel can see what they need and speak the truth into that situation. And all of a sudden, you are showing them what you truly want is Jesus Christ, and this is who He is. That, that is evangelism. Because what they need is good news. And you are more able to do it than you know. When we know the gospel, we speak it in incredible ways. I want you to breathe that in for a moment. There's power in the name of Jesus. I want to finish with these action steps, and then some of you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time right now. First, I want you to give God the credit this week whenever you get a compliment. Like, be creative about it. Some of you, you get compliments all the time. You get compliments all the time. Think in your mind, how do I give glory to God for this compliment? Let's make it a game. I think it'll be really, really fun. What you'll find is that the gospel will start coming out of you. Second, I want you to intentionally ask what the gospel says before giving advice or critique. Seriously, if someone comes to you and says, oh my gosh, but think about what the gospel says and don't give advice until you have thought through what the gospel could say in this situation. If you do these two things, you're going to learn to be able to speak it so much better. Third, learn how to evangelize the largest group of people in the United States. For the first time ever, people who have no religious affiliation, religious nuns, are the largest group of people in the United States. And I want you to learn how to speak to them. Some of us haven't had to ever do that. We're going to do that through Explore. Explore is a life journey course. It's something that we offer. I want you to sign up for it. But I want all our small groups to go through it as well. We've made it so that they'll be able to do that. In fact, you can sign up to be trained in how to do it, small group leader, right now on the now page, lifechurchcanton.org slash now. Commit to doing this. What it is, it's an amazing course that teaches you how to answer the questions and how to communicate who Jesus is to people who do not believe. Not only that, I believe people who are listening to this right now who are gonna go through that course are gonna decide for themselves that Jesus is is the way. Fifth, fourth, skipped right over four. Here's four. I want you to read gospel fluency. Jeff Vander Stelt wrote an amazing book and does amazing things. It's a book that I've read for years. I think I got it like the day it came out, and it talks about this concept of gospel fluency. If I just scratch the surface and you're like, what? I want to learn more about that. Read the book you will not regret it. It'll teach you how to become fluent in the gospel in a way that isn't off-putting, but points people to Jesus. And finally, five, get baptized. Get baptized. On August 30th, we're gonna get together. We're gonna celebrate. I think right now we have over nine baptisms somewhere around there. We're gonna hear their testimonies and celebrate new life. I encourage you to get baptized, but to be there. We'll do it online. We'll have an FM transmitter if you want to stay in your car or you can come and see it in person. We're going to have, you know, chlorine in the water so it's all safe, doing the best we can. But why do we do it? Because when you hear about people's lives being transformed, it ignites you to want to share and speak about what God is doing. I believe wholeheartedly that you can learn to be fluent in the gospel, to speak the truth in love. I believe it. And I want you to be filled with the presence of God. I also know there's someone who's like, man, you've been talking about Jesus and what he's done, and I think, I don't know if I'm following him. Maybe you're listening to this on the podcast. I want to give you an opportunity right now to accept Jesus, knowing that thousands have here, and that maybe it's your turn to follow Jesus. So will you pray with me? Praying is just talking to God. It's closing your eyes, resting in this moment, knowing that God is with you and you're going to acknowledge your need for him by praying this out loud or in your heart make it your own prayer but you might say something like this God I am broken I need someone to rescue me if I don't get saved God my life will not not be what you have for me now and I won't spend eternity with made for you, God. But the good news is you sent your son Jesus to die for me, to put me on this journey towards believing that about myself more and more and more. But I have to choose to follow Jesus, to give up control, and to give my life to the only one who can transform it. So today, I'm starting the first step on my journey by saying I will follow you, Jesus. I accept your gift of forgiveness for everything I've done. And I will follow you every single day as I learn more and more what it means to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.